Uh, just your finding uh, numbers 11 in that outline, let me introduce you to uh, two very different women. Uh, the first uh, is Wilma, uh, an elderly lady who I met a number of years ago in a small apartment in Sydney. Uh, Wilma's had an amazing life. Uh, she and her husband John were born in Holland and uh, in the early years of their lives uh, endured the horrific years of the Second World War. Uh, during that time uh, she described to me how they had very little to eat and eventually had to use the floorboards and the doors and any wood that they could find in the house just to keep warm. And below the table that, uh, as I met with uh, Wilma that we sat and ate uh, was a rug. It wasn't anything special to look at. In fact, it's the sort of rug that most of us, I suspect, would be embarrassed to have at such a centre place in our homes. But for them it was very significant. Uh, during the war, John, uh, her husband, was of fighting age and uh, regularly uh, the Nazis would sweep into their town and uh, look for recruits, men who would fight for them. And throughout those years, all of those years, as the Nazis swept through, it was this rug that had kept John safe. Every time uh, the news spread that they were coming again, there was a hole underneath the rug under the table and he would crawl into this hole and the rug was put on top and then the table. And so all throughout this time it was this rug that kept him safe. And so years later, uh, once they had moved to Australia, uh, when news came that John's parents had died, the only thing that they wanted chipped out was this rug and the table. And so sitting on that table on the rug uh, back in 2003 with Wilma, uh, meeting a woman who was so obviously filled with God, uh, thankfulness to her God for those years, uh, she told many stories, uh, stories of children lost in childbirth, uh, stories of a son uh, dying of cancer, and to my mind her greatest sadness watching her husband John slip away. Uh, the man who had wooed her, who danced with her, who'd sung to her, who crossed the world with her, lay with her all throughout this pain, uh, was being pulled away from her. The man who remembered what she remembered from the past was having his mind pulled apart by Alzheimer's. And John had eventually got to the point where he had to move into a care home nearby and the crushing blow for Wilma was that now he didn't even remember her. And when she told of this plan and this need to move him there, the pain on her face was so obvious it cut straight through you. A woman had lost the ability to relate to her great love and yet each day she would go and spend hours with him playing music to him, playing the songs of their childhood because in her words the last thing to go is the music. Now she spoke though of her confidence that even in this latest tragedy God would walk with her through it. And even now, years later, as I remember Wilma, it makes me smile. Here is exhibit A of the difference the gospel makes. This amazing woman leaning heavily on God's grace amidst great pain and not grumbling, but staring that sadness in the face and calling for the band to play on. Amazing woman. Well, that's Wilma. Let me introduce you to another woman, a character from the book C.S. Lewis wrote, The Great Divorce. It's a book that paints a vivid picture of what heaven and hell are like and why they are so very different. And uh, uh, near the end of the book, uh, the main character is being shown a bus full of people who are on their way to hell. And as uh, he's being shown around the bus, there are the sort of people that our world would expect and hope to be on a bus like that. But then there is this woman, a woman who, as he's walking around the bus, keeps interrupting with endless complaints about her lot in life and how, how unfair it's all been. But the main character of the book is concerned that a woman like this is even on a bus like this. This is what he says. 
She isn't wicked. She's only a silly woman who has got into the habit of grumbling and feels that a little kindness is due to her. But the teacher says that's what she once was. The whole question now is whether she is still a grumbler. I would have thought that was obvious, I said. uh, But the teacher said, no, you misunderstand me. The question is whether she is a grumbler or only a grumble. How can there be a grumble without a grumbler? Easy, said the teacher. You would have had the experience yourself. It it begins with a grumbling mood and yourself are distinct from it, perhaps even criticising it afterwards. But then later in some dark hour, you may even find that mood helpful and embrace it. And even then uh, you can repent and come out of it again but there may come a day when you can do that no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticise the mood or even enjoy it, just a grumble going on forever like some machine. There couldn't be a greater contrast, could there, between Mrs Grumble and Wilma. And I suspect uh, while we may aspire to live a life like Wilma, all too often the mode of life that we find ourselves in is more grumble than Wilma. Yes, uh, she is an extreme case that C.S. Lewis paints for us, but she is the logical endpoint of someone who thinks the sin of grumbling is no big deal, is normal. And the Bible has warned us over these weeks, especially in 1 Corinthians 10 that we've seen together, that there is nothing normal or okay about grumbling. Grumbling comes from a heart of a person whose faith isn't in Jesus isn't growing more intense and deep and substantial. It's, it's the opposite. A heart that is besieged by every circumstance, every disappointment, every pressure, every inconvenience diminishes their faith. Now I reckon we like to think of our faith in Christ as as like a fortress that nothing in life could penetrate it. But if our faith is not solely based on God's good grace, if it is also based on our circumstances or our dreams or perhaps our impression of our ideal scenario if God really loved us, then every experience of falling short of that will diminish our faith until, as Lewis says, there is nothing left, only a grumble. Now I put this series uh, together because I don't want to see that happen here. Because there is more to life than grumbling. Because the more we see the gospel clearly, the more we see the Lord Jesus clearly, the more we will stand firm on his grace alone and the more our circumstances will not be what defines us, the more we will discover that here with him is a joy that cannot be shaken. That's a good hope, isn't it? And it is a hope that our gospel can meet. And so in these weeks, having seen the power of grumbling up close, uh, we began last week to see how we might overcome its power. Now we saw how it begins by resetting your vision of the past and the present and the future. And this week uh, we see that once you have your eyes fixed, well then it's time to get your footwork right. How do you overcome grumbling? You fix your vision and then this week you follow the leader. So let's go back to Numbers 11 together, page 147 if you don't have it open. And you may remember when we started this series that we said this, this chapter is really giving us two stories of grumbling, two stories of God's people on the way to the promised land grumbling and we've focused on the second of those from verse 4 onwards. But today I want us to zoom in on these first few verses. Have a look at them with me. Verse 1. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burnt among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. 
And when the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. It's a very different story to the one that we have been looking at uh, later in the chapter. The people grumble against the Lord. He responds with anger and judgment and that judgment of fire starts to sweep into the camp and as it does, Moses stands and intercedes for the people he prays for them and the fire dies down. Now I want to put it to you today, here in these first few verses, here in Moses' actions, we have the very model of how we are to lead one another away from grumbling and towards joy in God's provision. As we battle grumbling here in this place together, we need to see Moses and follow the leader. You see, as the damage of grumbling spreads, as it will amongst us, from, from the world to this community, we're meant to be for one another the one who stops the spread, the, the circuit breaker, if you like. And here's why we need to be that for one another. Our community has the same problem as Israel had. Our church has the same problem. What's the problem with our church? People. Our church would be problem free if it was people free. We are a church full of people affected by grumbling and that grumbling affects us too. Many different ways we respond to it. Either when we're in the presence of someone who's grumbling, we can grumble back. That's one of our favourite things to do. It almost becomes a competition of who has most to grumble about. Uh, Liz and I do that when we get colds. We always seem to get colds at the same point and so it becomes a competition of who has the worst cold, which is obviously me. <laughs> a man flu is a, is a much worse strain of the common cold than, uh, than any female variety and so we have this sort of competition, or at least I do, thinking I've got the worst lot. And we can do it uh, maybe in our small groups uh, when, we're, when we're sharing prayer points. There's someone sharing their week and how hard it's been and work's terrible and this and you're thinking, just wait till it's my turn. We can grumble back or, or, or more often than not, we don't grumble in their presence, we wait till after and we grumble about them. Perhaps it's uh, walking home from small group thinking, why can't I be in a group with normal people? Well, look around, do you see any? We grumble back, uh, we grumble with them and, uh, sorry, we grumble about them and my favourite, I think, is we grumble together. I was talking to a lady a couple of weeks ago and I know she's not alone because it's my experience too. We, sometimes we have whole relationships built on grumbling. That's what we do when we get together. Uh, when we meet as friends, uh, we don't say it out loud. It's not like we put an agenda on the table and say, item one, grumbling. But that's our agenda. It, it's almost the warmth which uh, we gather around as friends. It, it keeps us going. It builds the friendship. Now, if you're in that sort of relationship with someone, realise you're not being a friend at all. You're actually diminishing one another. It's what Lewis means when he speaks of grumbling going on endlessly like some machine. You see, without intercession, a grumbling people like us become more so, not less. Our job together is to love one another enough to be those who intercede, who stop the spread, Interceding so people can rejoice in the Lord rather than grumble before him. And if you're wondering uh, who might have this job amongst us, uh, who should be doing the interceding, uh, see in the chapter how it does begin with Moses here in these early verses. And all the way through uh, the, the journey to the promised land, that was his job. Two jobs he had, to lead the people by bringing God's word to bear and praying for them. But then as the chapter goes on, as we've seen, as the weight of this grumbling people gets heavier and heavier, too much for Moses, the load is spread. 
Let's see what the Lord does in verse 16. He said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. And I will come down and speak with you there and I will take of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they will help you carry the burden of the people. Some 70 elders are enlisted to this vital task. And the same is true here. Yes, there are leaders uh, like the staff team set aside with the task of serving this community through proclaiming the word of God and prayer. Now, that's my job. Uh, when I was ordained, I was only given two jobs. One was to speak the word of God. The other was to pray. And so there are people with that task. But the work is too important, too spread out, too immense uh, to leave just to a few. We have our own 70 elders. In fact, more than that. Over 100 uh, small group leaders, let alone youth group leaders, student workers, children's leaders, you name it, whose job is all the same, bringing God's word to bear on one another, leading one another in prayer. But here's the thing, it spreads even wider than that. In Numbers 11, we're told in verse 26 that there's a couple of renegade elders who were supposed to have gone to the tent to be given this job, but they just sort of get on with it. Don't even bother going to the tent. And so by verse 28, Joshua is so incensed that they've done this. He says to Moses, you've got to stop them. They didn't come to the training day. But look at Moses' response in verse 29. He says, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. Moses' dream is that there would be a day in this community where not some but all share in God's spirit, not some but all speak the word of God to one another. And here's the wonder of it. That day has come. Ephesians 4, speaking of this community, says that not some of us but all of us who name the Lord Jesus share in one spirit, God's spirit. And that not some of us but all of us are given the task of speaking God's word of truth in love to one another. That all may grow up, not in grumbling but in joy. Now before we sign off at this point and think problem solved, Uh, there remains a problem. A problem we're thinking that simply by following Moses' lead here, uh, all all will be fixed. Because as we've seen uh, in Numbers 11, uh, as the grumbling spread again from verse 4, as it reached Moses in verse 11, rather than intercede, he's overcome by it and even joins in. You see, Moses and these elders could only carry the people so far. And here's why. The answer to the sin of grumbling is never going to be a human one. Never. The Christian community that you're a part of here this morning is not some self-help group. Uh, Our small groups are not group therapy sessions. There is no guru at the front with an answer to the problems you have. There is simply no one strong enough here to carry your weight, let alone our weight together. You see, when I say follow the leader, realise that Moses is only going to get you so far. You see it there in verse 14 what he says, I cannot carry all these people. The burden is too heavy for me. It was true even when the 70 elders are lined up as well. Moses' arm is too short. His heart is too small. So let me ask you this. How far do you think you'd be willing to carry a dead weight? How far would you carry a lost cause? I reckon your answer will depend on how much you value what you're carrying. I'll give you an example. I think if I'd said to Elizabeth about eight and a half months ago, I would like you to strap four kilos of potatoes to your, to your front 
and walk around with it for the next eight and a half months. What do you think of that plan? I'm thinking that either she would have just straight away said, you are, you're a fool, just go away, or whatever it might have been, or she would have carried it for a while and then started to come to her senses and thought, what on earth am I doing carrying these potatoes? But ask uh, the same woman to carry a child for eight and a half months and she'll do it gladly. And here you see why Moses won't carry the people. Verse 12, do you see it there? See what he says of the people? Did I conceive these people? Did I give birth to them? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant? He simply doesn't love them the way a mother loves her child, the way our God loves them. His heart is too small. He is not willing to carry this weight. Even with the best intentions, his heart gives way. Moses can't carry God's people and nor can you. It's just not in you. And here for me is the wonder of the gospel. You see, Moses in this chapter, the great leader of God's people, is just a hint, a shadow of the one to come, of the man who God would give his people, a man we are to follow, a man whose heart is wider and deeper and longer and higher for lost causes like you and I. The man who, like his father in verse 23, his arm is not too short. Because as Hebrews 7 tells us, he always, always lives to intercede for you. And so when I say follow the leader, I say follow Jesus. Follow the one who lived on this earth as we did, fractured as it is, broken as it is, frustrating as it is, and did not sin. Follow the one whose vision of his past, present and future is so crystal clear Did you see it there in the creed that we shared in together? Did you see his vision? Being in very nature God, he did not consider it something to be grasped but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Follow the one whose past is infinitely more glorious than yours and yet he gave it up for you. Follow the one whose present on earth was more painful than yours will be and yet he endured it for you. Follow the one whose future is more wonderful than you can conceive and yet he shares it with you. In the words of Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the beginner and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame. Follow the leader. Let me suggest as we come towards a close two implications to come from this for us. If we are to overcome grumbling by following Jesus then it's going to mean two things. It's going to mean we need to walk like Jesus and we need to walk to Jesus. Firstly, we have to walk like him. In the same chapter as our creed came from, Philippians says this, your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ." If you want to overcome grumbling for yourself and those around you, follow his way. Walk like your leader. You know, one of the joys of, uh, of having children, especially my, my oldest child, uh, Finn, is that uh, they start to mimic you. And sometimes this is a good thing and sometimes not so good. And someone said to me the other day, you know, your son walks just like you. Now, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't really have a style of walking that I'm trying to perfect over time. <laughs> But uh, somehow he's seen my, uh, my style of walking and he thought, yeah, that's pretty good, I'll go with that. 
and he's, uh, he's doing it for better or worse. What a joy it would be if our walk was like our Lord's. If we walked in a way where we loved those around us enough to live to intercede for them, that they may grow in joy and not grumbling. To walk like Jesus is to be, in the words of 1 Peter 4, those who serve one another with the word of God's grace. To walk like Jesus, in the words of James 5, is to be those who, when somebody grumbles in our presence, we don't just respond with tolerance, we don't respond with excuses, we respond with rebuke and confession and prayer. To walk like Jesus is, in the words of Galatians 6, to carry one another's burdens. And as we start to feel the weight of that task, remember, as we've seen, it would be a mistake to think that we could be for one another what Moses failed to be. Truth is, we and Moses are made of the same stuff. We need Jesus as much as those around us, as much as our peers, as much as those we may be called upon to lead in this community, as much as our children. Those around us who are battling with the sin of grumbling, need no one here. They need Jesus, the one who will stand between them and a gracious God, the one who uh, understands their frustrations, the one who can bear the burden of our endless grumbling without frustration, who knows how serious a sin it is and yet is willing to take the blame. We need the one we can approach with confidence, who will give us mercy and grace when we need it. And so there it is, after three weeks, the answer is so simple, isn't it? It's the stuff of kids' church and yet it's so powerful. As I seek to overcome grumbling, as I seek to do that for for those around me, as I seek to walk like Jesus, what I'm really doing is walking to Jesus. And so let me suggest this for the week ahead. You need to reset your course for the week ahead. What's the path you're on this week? Three words. Walk to Jesus. As you walk this week, see him in your past. See the one who, when you were dead in your sins, reached down into death and raised you up again. As you walk this week, see him in your present. And what's your present situation this week? We'll try this on for size from from the hymn in Christ alone. Your present situation, no guilt in life, no fear in death, from life's first cry to final breath. Grumbling spirit, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Amazing. And as you walk this week, see him in your future because he saw you in his. Did you hear it as I read Hebrews 12 just before? As he walked to the cross, he had the joy set before him. Do you know what his joy set before him was? It was you. As you look ahead this week, is he the joy set before you? You want to overcome grumbling this week? Walk to Jesus. Only a heart that is not full grumbles. And only a heart fixed on Jesus will ever be full. And so walk to him. Meet him in prayer this week. Meet him in his word this week. Let him be your portion. That's our path for this week, each of us, and it is our path together. When wherever we are gathered together this week, that's our agenda, walking to Jesus together. You know, my great hope for our small groups is that they be places where joy in Jesus is generated rather than where grumbling is incubated. And that's only going to happen if we're in the habit of leading one another to Jesus in word and prayer. And so serve your brothers and sisters this week in leading them to Christ.
so that he might intercede for them and give them the grace they need. The sin of grumbling is a powerful enemy to this church. Don't underestimate its effect on you. But don't underestimate the difference Jesus makes. For with him is a joy that cannot be shaken. Let's pray together.